You're listening to the John Stapleton Podcast. Let's let's go into chapter two. This this again this this thought is it, it carries on uh, for the next few verses. He says, "Then fourteen years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also." This is uh, believed. Uh, I believe you can pick this up in Acts chapter fourteen, Acts chapter fifteen, and and what I love is he mentions fourteen years. Paul immediately. Paul didn't immediately start teaching. Uh, Paul says, "You know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna wrestle with the scriptures. I'm gonna read my Old Testament again. I'm gonna find where Jesus is. I'm gonna make sense of this. I'm gonna make the connections." And he spent 14 years doing that. Sometimes it is good. Most of the time, all the time, it is good to sit with God before you ever turn on a mic and say anything. Before you can teach, you have to learn. Before you can uh, instruct others, you have to sit before God. You have to let him teach you, and then when he teaches you, you have something to teach others. And Paul takes 14 years, because if he's going to preach, if he's going to uh, stake his life on this, if he's going to believe it himself, he needs to be right. A lot of Christians don't feel comfortable with needing to be right. It's been criticized. Oh, you don't need to be right. You just need to love people. And walk with people and journey with people. And you also need to be right. Because if you're not right, then you're a blind guide leading people off the cliff. And it's no good. It does no one any good at all. So Paul sp- spends time in study because he needs to be right. He needs to be accurate. This is eternal souls that matter that he's going to be preaching to. And then he says, Verse 2, I went up by revelation and communicated unto them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. So here's what he's saying. Paul wants to make sure that he's not brainwashed, he's not indoctrinated, but at the same time, he wants to also make sure that he is not wrong and that he's not a heretic. Because what good is a revelation that you receive that contradicts everything that everyone ever taught or thought before you? All the major questions that people ask today, all the philosophical questions that people ask today, they're not original. They've been asked before by smart people that have lived before us. And if we would do the honor of just the benefit of just reading the works of those that came before us, we would be well-educated as far as asking better questions and arriving at better answers. And Paul says, okay, I got this revelation. Now I'm going to go and talk to the eyewitnesses. Now I'm going to go talk to the people that walked with Jesus to make sure that I had not run in vain, to make sure that I am not wrong. Paul practices humility. He wants to be confident, and he's also humble. And so a big lesson here is also that theology is done with the church. It's not done in a vacuum, but it's done with the church. It's done with other brothers and sisters that are also biblically minded and and can help you arrive at your conclusions. If we're just reading the Bible by ourselves, that's dangerous. 
because a lot of people do that. And before you know it, you have a chart and an ammo box and another date that Jesus is going to return by. It's completely silly. We need to be doing theology together. We need to be studying the Bible together. And then he says in verse 3, But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So Paul is doing ministry among the Gentiles, and some of his crew is also of the Gentiles. And so Titus is this guy that's working with Paul, traveling with Paul, preaching with Paul, helping Paul with his ministry, and he's a Greek, which means he's not circumcised. Herein introduces the conflict. Verse 4, that because of false brethren unawares brought in, there were some, some false brothers that crept in secretly, uh, who came in privately to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection. No, not for an hour, not even for a moment, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Paul is saying this, um, there are some people that hate grace. There are some people that reject Christianity and they judge it because it's too lenient. And what they mean is those people are gracious. And so some of them come to church with their legalistic mindsets and they're like, we're going to change things. We're going to change the culture here. We're going to change the atmosphere here. We're going to change how people believe. We're going to change how how people conduct themselves. We're going to change it. And we're going to improve it. We're going to make it better by making them more like us. And Paul says, we didn't give in to them, not even for a moment. We knew exactly what they were doing. They were undermining the very foundation of the gospel. Because without grace, no one's saved. There is no kindness that God is extending to you. Without grace, there is no room to mature in Christ as you stumble forward. There's no room to do that. There's just law and legalism and expectation and letter of the law, which Paul says in Romans chapter 9 or chapter 8, the, 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 or sorry, First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that the, the letter of the law kills. Let's go back to that. Paul says, we didn't even submit to them for a moment. And I love his reasoning, so that the truth of the gospel may be, may continue with you. I think one translation says, so that the truth of the gospel may be preserved for you. Paul is a herald of the gospel, and he is also a preserver uh, of the gospel, not just in his words, but in his conduct. And that's a word for all of us. Do you know the gospel? Can you defend the gospel? And do you uphold the gospel with your conduct? He goes on to say this, verse 6, But of these who seem to be somewhat whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me, God accepteth no man's person. For they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. Here's what he's saying. Uh, there are some people in the church that seem to be a big deal. They seem to be someone important. And whoever they were, it makes no difference to me. Uh, no difference to me. God plays no favorites, so I don't have any favorites. What really matters is if someone is faithful to, to Jesus or they're not. 
and a title at the end of the day, a title doesn't mean anything. This kind of reminds me of, of today. Uh, there's this phrase called Big Eva. And I was a little offended at, at this when I first heard about it a few years ago. But Big Eva is a necessary term that describes big evangelical movements. And let me just say this. We need to be critiqued. I'm an evangelical. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, an, I'm an American Christian. So I'm in this lot, okay? Um, not a Puritan, uh, not, not anything else. I'm, a, I'm an evangelical Christian. Um, so the, we have to be critical of our movement. We have to critique our movement. We have to be very, very discerning. And often, especially in recent years, Big Eva, um, things like the Southern Baptist, you know, the thing with Al, Al Mohler came out uh, recently with, with, with his opinion on, on attending a, a certain type of wedding. This is what I'm talking about. Big Eva often These are people that were biblical. And it seems like in recent times they've drifted. But they have a name because they've been doing ministry for 20, 30 years and they're a big deal. And everybody knows them in the evangelical world. Big Eva Paul says it doesn't matter who they were. It doesn't matter who they are, what 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 their name is, what their title is. It doesn't make any difference to me. It matters if they are in Christ. It matters if they're faithful to Jesus. And then he says this, verse 7, But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter. So he's saying, we're both apostles, but we have different missions. All those that walked with Jesus, Peter, James, John, they get to stay in Jerusalem for a bit. Their, 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 um, their ministry is to the Jews. Their ministry is to the circumcision. But me, Paul, I am a bit unique. My calling is to the Gentiles. And here is what I love about the Christian faith. The Christian faith has been everywhere. This is a bittersweet thing about Christianity. The Christian faith has been to every single continent so far. It's been to Africa, it's been to Asia, it's been to South America, and it's been to America, North America. It's been everywhere. It's been to Europe, it's been to Australia, it's been everywhere. And I think right now the, the hub of Christianity is in China, it's a, in, and I think South America. Um, it, the gospel travels and it travels mainly because of persecution. After the stoning of Stephen, that's when the church goes north. That's when they that's when they spread out. The church doesn't go anywhere until they're persecuted. And and so Paul is a God, is is a is an apostle to the Gentiles because this thing needs to spread. The promise, and, and again, he's going to get into this in chapter three. But the promise that God gave to Abraham to send to bless all the nations, it's actualized in Jesus Christ through the spreading of the gospel. And the world doesn't like this. The world calls this colonization. And I admit that there are times in the world's history where the spreading of the gospel through Christians hasn't been done the best way. 
But should we demonize the spreading of the gospel because it hasn't been done the best way? It's like saying, you know, they're bad teachers, so we're going to do away with all teachers. They're bad police, so let's defund all the police. Uh, you know, there's there's bad, um, I don't know, like you just fill in the blank. There is, you know, we don't like this one person or or this this one it's been done, you know, this one thing has been done really, really bad. So let's just, let's just cancel everything. That's wrong. That's wrong. The spreading of the gospel is how God blesses the world, the families of the, the, the earth through Abraham. And then he says, verse eight, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles, the same Holy Spirit that uh, that allowed me to do, uh, um, that allowed Peter to do his ministry, is working through Paul as well. Verse nine. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seem to be pillars, they're the people that are upholding the church. They're the people that are supporting the movement. They're very foundational. Um, perceived the grace that was given unto me, the, the power, the effort, the ability to do this. They gave me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go into the heathen and they should, uh, and they to the circumcision. So they're saying, we affirm you, Paul. We understand that God has called you and that Jesus has revealed himself to you. Go preach the gospel as we're doing in Jerusalem. Go spread that, that message, that same message abroad. And so I, I, I love I love this gospel partnership. There's no competition between the apostles. Uh, they all recognize that they're on team Jesus. They're on the same team doing the same work. And so there doesn't need to be jealous competition. There needs to be unity and not uniformity, because again, they have different missions, but unity. And it makes the church stronger when that happens. And then I'll end on this verse, verse 10. Only they would, they wanted, that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. He's saying, hey, Paul, uh, make sure that you take care of the poor when you preach the gospel. Don't just preach the gospel, minister to the poor. And Paul says, of course, I, I was eager to do that anyway. And so I'll, I'll end on this note. Um, the gospel is good news. And some people make the gospel so narrow where it doesn't include the felt needs of others. James says, if you see a starving person that is cold and you say, God bless you, I hope you, uh, you know, get a sandwich and, and find a blanket. Uh, you're, you're not helping them if you don't give them a sandwich and, and give them something to, to get warm with. Your mere nice intentions, your nice sentiments, your pleasantries, it means nothing unless you do something. And the gospel does something. This is why it's a sin to preach the gospel and not live out the gospel. Next, in chapter 2, Paul's going to talk about his encounter with Peter, who did not live out the gospel in one given moment. He became a hypocrite. Peter was a, a racist, and he he slipped back into his racism. Peter, Paul's going to call him on the mat to that. But the gospel does something. It's not just words. It's not just sentiments. It's a worldview that pushes through society to change things. It pushes society to change. 
And when society change, society changes, our world changes. And it's blessed when it's influenced by the gospel and the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm going to end it there because the back end of chapter two is very uh, deep and I kind of want to spend, I want to spend some time uh, on, on that. So until next time, I love you. God bless. See you next time.